Welcome listeners to the 38th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt, with me as always are Robin Svensson and Christopher Wiesström, both of them mighty wizards. And to you, dear listener, we would like to say thank you for tuning in. Hello, everybody. Hello, friends. I hope you're doing well. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Deck tab. In this week's episode, we will, as per usual, talk about recent paper play, and after that, we will get into some theory crafting regarding the mechanics in the recently announced cards from the Secret Lair X Street Fighter. First up, though, Paper Legacy. The meta this week at our LGS consisted of Black Red Reanimator, Tempo Doomsday, Grixis Control, 8 Walla Rainbow Depths, Lance, Patron, Dean Team, Bird, Madeline Stretch, Spice Infinity, ANT, Yord Elver, and Green White Depths. Essentially, one of every deck you can think of showed up. <laughs> Robin, how did that go for you? <laughs> well, uh, I succeeded to win two games and lose two games, so rather mediocre results. But it was uh, quite interesting games uh, nonetheless. And I mean, I, a meta like this is just lovely to play in. I, I love this kind of crazy paper play metas. So my I, I was playing in Rainbow Depths, uh, like the usual version. I haven't received any of the Busages yet. So like the deck I've been playing, same list as, as usual. And my first matchup was against DNT, which uh, with this turbo version feels quite okay because like even though they have a lot of answers I have a lot of ways to protect Merit Lage and uh, protect the Dark Depths but it was uh, I stumbled a little bit on the mana so I had in both games I had uh, an early Pithing Needle on Wasteland and uh, some of the combo pieces in my hand but they like managed to kill me like the turn before I could go for lethal so uh, two losses against DNT in quick fashion and then I was up against 8 Walla, and I kept a, quite a slow hand and got uh, overrun completely in game one. I think he killed me in, in two swings or something like that, maybe on turn three. So quite fast hand for him and not as fast for me. And then uh, in game two, I kept a, a hand that would uh, present a quite an early Merit Lage, but I did not have a real good turn one play. So I just kept up a mana confluence and a stifle. And he fetched into my stifle, and that was his only land. So I won that game just by stifling his waste. It was really, really funny. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Uh, turbo depths. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, in game three was quite weird, actually, because I boarded in ley lines, and uh, I revealed ley line as a pregame effect. And he, like, on his... F- Turn one play, he he played Fateless Looting and just threw two Venge Vines in the bin that were completely dead. I don't think he boarded in like uh, Enchantment Hate. But uh, I I didn't manage to, to assemble the combo fast enough and he was beating me down with dorks. And uh, like on this absolutely last turn, he like ripped his fourth land and could play a Venge Vine hardcast and swing for lethal. So he actually took that down through uh, Venge Vine and like through the consistency of, of Turbo Depths. I, I couldn't assemble Merit Lage quick enough. Then game three was against Monolith Stretch. And game one, he assembled the combo through a Stifle that I uh, targeted a Mar- Narcomoeba trigger with. Which was probably wrong because I was going to make Merit Lage that turn. And I thought that the Narcomoeba was a blocker, but it turned out that he could combo that turn with the Balustrade Spy. So I should have 
stifled his balustrade spice trigger instead and uh, well let the narcomiba block one turn it would have been better for me i think but in game two and game three i had uh, pre-game ley lines and he was not able to remove them so those were quite easy wins and then the final game was against lands in in game one i had a, a really quick merit age and then in game two i had quite an early merit age playing through a caracas but he he managed to rip his own Dark Depth so he could make an own Merit Lage to block my <laughs> my Merit Lage. And then his uh, Caracas could bounce my, my Merit Lage. But then I, I, I succeeded to take down the, the third game against Lance. So that is also a little bit of a tricky matchup. But like all of the protection in the deck really works wonders there. So it was a... Quite a fun... Uh, oh right, in game three it was a stifle <laughs> that... Uh, he was trying to copy my Dark Depth with his uh, with his uh, Thespian stage, and I could stifle the, his activation that won me the game. So stifle was a, a real good like card in this at this particular evening, and uh, yeah, I, I really like this deck, but didn't really get the the great results with it just this this time. I mean, whenever Stifle is a good card, that's sort of, you know, enough to make it a good evening, though. Yeah, I, I love winning with Stifle. Those Stifle moments must have been, um, you know, feeling really well for you, really nice. Warm, fussy tummy. Even if I lose, if I get one really good Stifle in, it usually makes my evening. I remember uh, at the LGS, I, like some years ago, I rarely pick up a Canadian Threshold, but when I do, I'm out to Stifle people and hit them with Mongoose. And I remember this one game that was just super perfect where my opponent, we were just trading land drops and, you know, I'm usually playing like control decks and stuff like that. But then mm. when I hit my third land drop, I played uh, a mongoose and my opponent realized what trouble he was in because he had just brainstormed and not fetched. And uh, yeah, like those scenarios are just the great, like the greatest. When you get to stifle, they force because their top two cards are just like double time walk, and then you get to daze the force or something like that. It's just mm, like I could, yeah, I could live in that land. But it was really interesting, like the thing you said about leyline against Eightwallam. Uh, it's one of those cards that I think when I've played Eightwallam, it's one of the cards that doesn't really concern me that much. It's only it's pretty much only Venshrine and Oxus and Flashback on looting. Because you have like the hollow ones, uh the and then like the madness cards like Andrew's Ravager. Sure, they don't get like anger either. But it's it's uh I think it's a bit weaker than one would think against a pseudo graveyard deck. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I don't have many cards that do anything in that matchup. I was boarding in Sylvan Safekeeper mostly as a blocker <laughs> to stay alive to make Merit Lage because I could take out so many cards that don't really do anything. So yeah, Ley Lines came in and uh, and like not of this world and that kind of cards just went out. The, the turn one discard is extremely good in that matchup. Like it's nice, yeah. Picking that lead out of there. But yeah, that's uh, I, I can definitely see that matchup being very back and forth. Like both ha- both decks can just present lethal on turn two. Yeah, it's a little bit of two two solitaires playing against each other. Not not a lot of interaction there going on, but... <laughs> How was your evening, Christopher? So, uh, I was the Tempo Doomsday player in the room. And uh, I was rocking that for Merktide, for Hermit, and for Strix deck. 
and it was just super fun. Like, my round one opponent was uh, Black Red Reanimator, and I kept the hand assuming that he was on Elves, because last time I played against this person, that's exactly the deck that he was on. But uh, then, you know, after I did the Ponder Pass, my luck kind of changed, because I got to turn one Unmask, get G-Daddy into the graveyard, and reanimating it. And I was just sitting there, thinking about how screwed I was because the hand I kept was really not I, I don't know I wasn't aiming to to f- face that off and it's super funny because this player is a listener to the podcast um, I recently bought a, a, a dual land of it and we were talking about black red reanimator because he was assembling the deck and he even picked the the APAC swamp that I recommended and which I think is great and it just hit me when he did the turn one Grizzlebrand that like, oh right, <laughs> you were building this deck. So yeah, I lost I lost game game one. Like I did play a Strix and I was like, Grizzlebrand me all you want. But then he just discarded like Sarah's Emissary, played it, like reanimated it and was like, yeah, let's say creature. And then he hit me with his Grizzlebrand anyway. And I was just staring down all the power in the universe the next turn. But, you know, those games, like, Doomsday is pretty well set up to beat Reanimator. It's a deck that can go extremely quick, and this version is a lot slower than the the full-on combo version, which also plays more counter spells. But after Sideboard, this version is playing the full playset of Ley Lines, and it's extremely good at protecting Ley Lines. Uh, you have Daces, Forces, you board in Force of Negation, like if a Hermit get in there, it's it's just super nice. So game two, I just windmill slammed two <laughs> Ley Lines into play, and uh, a couple of turns later, after some cantrips, I just resolved the Doomsday and he resolved, uh, like he just scooped it up. Game three was pretty much the same. Uh, like he, I windmill slammed the Ley Line, my opponent mauled, and uh, went turn one Chromox, Petal, Ritual, Grief, which I gladly forced. And uh, I just played Cantrips and eventually uh, 6-6 Merktide, which won the game. He had a sideboard plan of, you know, show and tell against uh, stuff like Leyline. But after that start, you know, getting so behind on mana, going super hard on the Grief, it was, an, it was a nasty days uh, for me. So it felt really good. Oof. I mean, it's probably the right thing to do for that play, to go for that, because you're already mulliganing and the layouts in play. Essentially, you have to sort of hope hope for the best, but that's a rough spot. I mean, layout is a good, <laughs> it's a very good sideboard card. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't get it off the table, you're in trouble. I mean, you have, you have ways of getting it off the table, but if you can't and instead you have to play your creatures like that, you, you're really exposing yourself for days. And any other counter magic, really. Ah, rough. I've, I, I'm feeling with this guy. Was there any consideration of uh, like turning into a fair deck against this combo deck, like just winning with your creatures? Uh, well, I, I did game game three. Like I was I was in the mindset that if he can't close the game in the first two or three turns, I am gonna get hermits and eventually a merc tide into play. And in a deck that plays a lot of cantrips and uh, forces and stuff like that. It's not it's not unreasonable that the Merktide just outgrows a Grizzlebrand pretty quickly as well. If you just cast it for the full value, it's already bigger. So yeah, it's uh, I I kept in the the combo because it's also just like 
it's it's still reanimator you need velocity and um, i i i do believe that it's correct to keep in uh, the combo even if you have a really good like plan and uh, yeah i think i think i this is super weird but i think i boarded out the strixes because i was like i'm not winning that game anyway uh, it's blue cards for force but weirdly enough i actually boarded them out I, I think, but I can't remember exactly. But uh, yeah, my round two was against a friend of the podcast, Andreas the Hope. And uh, he has just been busy, you know, tearing our local local metagame apart with Painter. Like every time when we do updates, uh, <laughs> you always see like, oh, uh, uh, the Hope is uh, like undefeated. So uh, I was not confident going into this match because I know that he has grinded a lot of a lot of painter like way more painter than i've played doomsday and he's also a very strong pilot and on top of all of this grindstone is a pretty good card against the doomsday pile so <laughs> there's a lot of things to consider here but uh, game one is pretty grindy and eventually i do get to resolve a doomsday which i built to survive a grindstone activation and he did in fact have a grindstone in his hand which he played out and then milled exactly four cards, like the double Temporal Mastery, uh, Knight's Whisper, another Temporal Mastery, and then I got down to my Oracle, which was with the last card. So I did I did plan that. If he would have waited, uh, he would have won that. But I got lucky that one time. Like maybe when you build a pile, uh, maybe you don't want to like risk it if you are the... Uh, paint to play but it's it's super interesting like i could have put fastest oracle on the top i do play on a nerf but he looked through my exile post uh, post doomsday and saw that it was in the pile and i was like oh <laughs> but uh, yeah game two i run into all sorts of problem like my opponent isn't really committing much to the board until Eventually, uh, he puts a Karn on the stack, and we have a counter war, but he had has the the Reb, which uh, wins the counter war because, uh, yeah, my hand was... I was I was planning on great things, okay? But it didn't work out. So he just gets the Tormod's Crypt the first time and uh, eats my graveyard, so I couldn't play my Murktide that I, that I had in my hand. And then I got Lattice the turn, the turn after. So it was just like the one-two punch. Pretty bad. But game three is super interesting. I kept this hand packed with interaction and my opponent molds to six. I get to force a turn two Karn and make a doomsday pile not long after. And the pile included Sheldock, Emrakul, Temporal Mastery, Basic Island and Fasas Oracle. So turn one, I get to do the Sheldock Isle, putting Emrakul in there. The turn after, I Miracle Temporal Mastery and cast my Emrakul and then he scoops. So it's like 30 damage, Annihilator 12 uh, coming. Nice. So yeah, I'm currently 2-0 and I'm playing uh, round three against a very good friend who I've played and talked a lot about on the pod, the Discord, like the Discord opponent, the Grixis control player. And he's on, you guessed it, Grixis control. He wins the die roll and just go turn one ponder. I kept a super questionable hand. But uh, I had turn one Dark Ritual, Doomsday with Force and Double Daze backup. So I just go for it. He forces and I daze it. The pile was kind of interesting because I, I dazed. So I can't just go with a aggro Temporal Mastery plan. So instead I, I, I put Force, Cavern, Temporal Mastery, Temporal Mastery, Oracle. Because I have 
still a four like a force a days in my hand. So I do that, and then I just go land go, <laughs> land go, double mastery, uncounterable oracle. And uh, game two was really interesting. Like my opponent just plays a fetch and passes. I go ritual doomsday, but this time the force resolves which it wasn't really my game plan. I was just, you know, force checking. It's always good when it resolves. It's not like a when you're faking that you're going to go off with another combo deck. This is kind of like, yeah, my hand isn't uh, doesn't need this to resolve. It's great if it does, but it's kind of like the the cheating commitment of Doomsday, which I really like. But uh, yeah, he just makes another land drop and passes. You know, I place, I play a Strix, I play a land. He plays a Strix, and eventually I just go Dark Ritual and play Liliana of the Last Hope, which I play in the main deck in in my version. And he's completely disgusted because turn one, he told me after he had the Flusterstorm, which which he said he should have used on the Doomsday. But instead he chose to force. So now he doesn't have a counterspell for the Liliana. Which just pressures him every turn. Like kills a Strix. Eventually kills a Snappy. So eventually when he does resolve like a Narset. It's not like he can protect it. Unless he finds a Murktide. Because he's playing Murktides in its builds. So eventually I just generate a lot of value. With the Liliana. uh, You know threatening the ultimate. I resolve my own Murktide. And he just scoops. So 3-0. And I'm walking into the last round. The the finals. Which is against uh, green-white depths. And I keep a super shady 6. My opponent just turn. Like turn 1 library. That I need to force. Because I don't know. Like I don't think I'm winning if. I'm to 6 and he gets to library. I play a turn 2 Knight's Whisper. And not hitting any bangers at all. And I get smacked for 20. Not long after that. And, uh, you know, it's tricky sometimes. Uh, I think the combo version is a lot stronger in this matchup than uh, than the tempo version. But game two, I do keep a slightly better hand. We sling some spells back and forth, and eventually I do resolve the Doomsday. And I build my stack around beating Shoke, Endurance, and Double Wasteland. So I'm just trying to get like cover all of the avenues. Or not all, but at least two of those. So... The pile is Knight's Whisper, Island, Petal, Mastery, and Fasus Oracle. And it does just that. So my opponent showed free free lands in his hand, which kind of made me feel like I was super ambitious uh, with my pile. But yeah, game free. I mulligan and I keep a pretty okay hand. It's just missing a doomsday. So my opponent plays some frets while I play some Strix and some cantrips. And eventually my opponent is starting to assemble Marit. And he had already played a step to get his, uh, you know, the the flip werewolf from uh, Midnight Hunt. That when it's flipped and attacks, it destroys an artifact, I think, or something like that. So he gets, he gets my Strix off the table for free. But I'm thinking, okay, he, he only has, he's used his step. So... I'm digging, 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 no doomsday in sight, and eventually I just play out a, a Merc Tide because I know that I'm going to have to shump block a Merit coming down. And my opponent creates a Merit and has the second step. <laughs> so uh, I went 3-1, but I had a, like tons of fun, and this deck is like extremely fun to play. I think play-wise, I might prefer the... 
the combo version. But I do believe that this one is a bit easier to play. And uh, it's it's less weak to hate, which I think is uh, also very strong. Like the temporal mastery tech is nasty, especially if you're worried against endurances. So that was my uh, my uh, like evening of legacy. Uh, what about you, Victor? Did you get to sling anything? Well, no. I was uh, adulting happily, celebrating my birthday with the family, uh, as well as a long-distant friend who came to visit and stayed the night, and that felt like, you know, something I wanted to do. 39, not a hugely important age, but my family wanted to make me nice food and bake me a cake and stuff like that. So, you know, can't say no to that. On the contrary, I was rather enjoying myself. Uh, But during these uh, last sort of two weeks, I have or I am currently, but I have done most of it. I'm in the process of selling off the main worth of my modern cards that I will never play with again. I remember I had a modern cube that I'm selling off. So I keep buying other cards <laughs> with this money and transforming my non-played modern cube into expensive but sort of very nice to have legacy sideboard cards, which are incidentally, of course, legal in modern as well, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, I'm I'm keeping up sort of preparations. I'm uh, tuning my lists and uh, yeah, making a profit at the same time. I have a question for Christopher. How was the hermit? The hermit is, uh, I think, pretty good. It's very sweet. It does a lot of things, but most of the times it's just annoying for the opponent. And like people are calling it the blue Allosaurus shepherd, which is a stretch. But in a deck like this, when you're just pretty much buying time and then either winning with a Merktide or resolving a Doomsday, it's it's strong. Uh, I can't deny that. Like, even the front side, which is, like, pay-free mana uh, when you sack it, is strong. But against the Grixis opponent, he had to red blast, like, two front sides and one back side in our game, too. Because, like he like he put it after our games, if I let it be there, I'll lose anyways. Uh, eventually, which I think is a a cool sentiment against uh, like for control players. But uh, yeah, and uh, happy birthday, i efterskott, like uh, <laughs> as we say in in uh, Swedish for all you international listeners out there. It's when it has occurred, when the birthday has occurred. When you are too late, congratulating. It's a type of excuse you make. Yeah, it's uh, it's when you didn't check Facebook that day or if you're just uh, shitty at writing. But, Victor, happy birthday, Efterskott. I thank you. Thank you deeply. Okay, at the end of July, the legendary world warriors of Street Fighter 2 are coming to Magic the Gathering. The eight playable characters featuring the original release of Street Fighter 2 are to be magic cards. Love it or hate it, what I want to talk about here is the creative introduction of a bunch of character-specific abilities. And why do you ask would I want to talk about that? I'm not a commander player. Well, I have an inclination that WotC are using these types of releases to test new mechanics. We've seen it before. We're not going to 
to go all of these uh, mechanics and all of these playable characters because that's just simply too much to cover. I have for us picked two and I want you guys to go, not sort of necessarily to evaluate the cards themselves here in terms of legacy playability. Rather, I wanted to ask you in what context, if any, these mechanics could be broken in legacy. So first up, Chun-Li. I'm going to read out the card here. It's Chun-Li Countless Kicks, one white and blue, legendary creature, human soldier. Uh, has a multi-kicker of white slash blue, so sort of either or. And when Chun-Li enters the battlefield, exile up to X target instant cards from your graveyard, where X is the number of times Chun-Li was kicked. Put a kick counter on each of them. And then there is an ability called Lightning Kick. Whenever Chun-Li attacks, copy each exile card you own with a kick counter you may cost the copies. So essentially, on entering the battlefield, you get a bunch of your high-quality instants from your graveyard on, on kick duty. And when you attack, you get to cast them. Uh, Christopher, what do you think about this? Well, it's a flavor win with the multi-kicker. Like if you've <laughs> seen Street Fighter, the iconic multi-kick is uh, like the Shun Li special. So I think that's a pretty fun, <laughs> pretty fun uh, wordplay. But the card itself, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a frequent resident of Magical Christmas Land. And it's it's super hard to evaluate. Like, free mana without multi-kicking it is it's it's quite a bit. And then you have to pl- like pay extra each time you want to have this effect. And uh, the problem I see with that is it really opens you up to days because the more like of course you're gonna want all of the value, so you don't want to leave mana up. And now we're talking about playing this, multi-kicking it once for four mana and five if you want to play around days. However, there might be some spicy vilest that plays uh, Spellseeker, Ephemerates and stuff like that, where this could be a pretty fun card to play actually and try out. So I, I, I don't hate it. It's it's not a Dreadhorde Arcanist, which you can just jam out on turn two and then you get to cast the the spells for free. You have to pay the mana the when you when you attack. But like it's a s it's a super snowbally card. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, a vile ephemerate or flash deck would try this out. Uh, like just a copy for for the snowbally games it's it's a bit of a shame that it's a free free because then you can't tutor it pretty much with any recruiter which is uh, which is a shame but uh, yeah it's it's not the worst card from uh, street fighter and i think uh, yeah it's it's one of the the cards that might see some play but not on a high level i i'd guess what about you robin so let me start with saying that I don't I don't really think that this this card will see a lot of play. I don't think it's good enough, but I I think it's quite interesting mechanic because like say that you would multi-kicker this, like you you would fix your deck so that you can multi-kicker this for like four or something like that. Then each time Shanli attacks, you can copy each of those exiled cards. So you don't it's not just one of the cards and you can copy that card each time you attack so you can do that 
for like many turns to come, which is a little bit different than how these cards usually work. So I'm thinking, say that you play this in a, a ritual deck, <laughs> so you like ritual out a multi-kicker, then each turn you can play like three rituals and a brainstorm or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't think it's good enough, but it's interesting that it does something different than what these kind of cast from your graveyard cards usually do. It, it turns it into a little bit of an engine. This is where my mind goes as well. Like this card in particular, probably not good enough because the stats just aren't there. Uh, there is no haste. The card itself has a mana value of three, so you limit sort of your multi-kicker mana and the, the actual casting cost of these copies that you're gonna you're gonna play. But I'm thinking, I mean, there are some essentially free spells as instance that we can use for you know first and foremost. And I think this multi-kicker lightning kick combo ability. <laughs> On another card that could be, I don't know, ninjutsu or easily made, uh, you know, hexproof or unblockable, anything like that. This could be, uh, I think, a mechanic with a very high potential. But I also really, I really like this mechanic. It feels like you have to work really hard to pull this off. But if you pull it off, you're going to get so amazingly rewarded (laughs) from doing so. And of course, I mean, if you look at current legacy, investing all that energy into making this happen is just sort of not probably worth the time. You can just go ahead and play a real combo deck. But we're discussing the potentials here. And I think that um, in and of itself, this is a very interesting mechanic. And I think in the right place, uh, it could probably be worth trying out. So in the in a dream world, you're just a super slow control deck and your opponent plays a three or four cards on... Uh, on their turn four or five or something like that. And you're like, resolves, and then you brain freeze yourself. Untap and play this with all of the counter mana in the world. And then you're just trying to brain freeze, kill your opponent with this. It's beautiful. It's like Nefalia Drownyard, but good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so moving on in the Street Fighter land. The other card with the mechanic I wanted to discuss is Ken, Burning Brawler. Costs one and two red. Legendary creature, Human Warrior, is a 4-2. Has prowess, and we all know what that does. But then he also has the ability red or white. Uh, Ken gains first strike until end of turn. Again, nothing super fresh there. But then we have the Shoryuken! Uh, or Shoryuken, Shoryo, Shoryuken, depending on sort of where you are, I guess. Ability that does this. Whenever Ken deals combat damage, you may cast a sorcery spell from your hand with mana value less than or equal to that damage without paying its mana cost. So you connect somewhere with Ken, you can cast at least a f- mana value 4 sorcery spell uh, without paying the mana cost. How is this interesting? Robin, you first. To me, this is a little bit less interesting than Shun-Li. I mean, this is basically a mana producer <laughs> in that case. Uh, so it's it's a mana dork that comes down on turn three and then generates four worth of mana on the following turns. I, I really don't see what kind of cards you... Like sorcery spells that you want to cast with this guy... Like, when I think sorcery spells, I think show and tell, <laughs> or like Tenders of Agony. I don't really see that happening with this guy. But uh, maybe maybe you have a better idea than me. Christopher, what do you say? So, I am I actually think this is a stronger card than, uh, than Sean Lee. And uh, specifically for the deck you mentioned, uh, show and tell. The reason why I think this could be good 
is the like potential in uh, in a deck like sneak and show where you could build your deck a bit differently maybe trying to draw more cards with uh, like a splash color uh, you could you could pretty much cut some sneak attacks and stuff like that and go in for a more Grixis uh, omniscience uh, sneak attack deck and the reason why I think this card is pretty good is uh, due to it not having to connect to a player unlike the swords and stuff like that if they block uh, you get your effect so you can pack some more like draw cards like uh, knight's whisper discard and stuff like that and like if you're if you're tied up on mana sure this is double red and that's not super sexy i guess but if you're tied up on mana you can swing in with this and put your show and tell on the stack with mana up and i think that's pretty nice because if the show and tell resolves and you put in an omniscience that's great like matches like that usually end anyway and uh, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty nice spell to play around days and uh, Flusterstorm and stuff like that. So I do think that it, it has some potential. But then again, the double red, super not sexy. It's a pretty, pretty lukewarm. But uh, I mean, it's Ken and Shuryoken. Like if, if I get destroyed this way, it's pretty nice. And... It has prowess and a pretty big body. Like it can also just be an alternative wincon where you get to, you know, cast your, your ponder or whatever for free and just keep on doing some stuff. So uh, I think it's I think I think it's fine. Like none of these cards, luckily, uh, from the Street Fighter set are that powerful in my opinion, which is good because a lot of I remember when the Walking Dead set uh, was. Uh, the spoiled and then released there was a lot of anxiety going around you know should i pick up my rick <laughs> and stuff like that and i don't think we risk running into that problem here like these cards if you want to try them out they're not going to be super expensive or you don't need to chase them as much it's more accessible and no card is super powerful famous last words so that's that's my take so i got this uh, this idea that you gave me that I maybe have to re- retract what I just said, but like thinking slapping this uh, this ability onto another creature. Consider a uh, one red mana, two one monkey with Haryuken. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man! Oof. Yeah, I mean, if, if if you could combine this with dash or, or any of these like <laughs> unblockable abilities or whatever, then this Shuryuken could obviously become. You know, very powerful. But then again and again, wizards wouldn't make that mistake again, would they? Nah. <laughs> and I'm also thinking like the whole without paying its mana cost, like they wouldn't print a, a two red, like a two mana red drop that did that from the graveyard either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, fucking Arkham. I'm just saying like this, um, this card just makes me want to shout, uh, make Koth the Hammer. Uh, great again oh yeah first victor your your take on this yeah yeah i mean I, I touched a bit upon it i think again like probably on this particular creature is you have interesting openings as you mentioned christopher for me 
I don't think it's likely that it's going to sort of do anything sort of better that Sneak and Show is already sort of doing. Uh, but again, however, the mechanic, I think, is interesting because, I mean, on both of these cards, why I picked them is, of course, I would say that they are Dreadhor Arcanist adjacent <laughs> in, how these, um, these, in how these abilities are designed, although they are a bit more cumbersome than a pretty straightforward 1-3 trampled creature that is now, for good reason, banned in Legacy. Um, and I think it's interesting that Wizards... In my sort of the way I see it, what they are doing here is that they are trying to sort of iterate, reinvent, reconfigure mechanics that sort of allow the player to use the graveyard in this combat sense. That Red Horacarnis did nicely, but sort of too powerful for legacy. Sort of what the the monkey did with the not the graveyard, of course, but the with up other parts of the battle than the cards in your hand essentially and I, I think it's it's I think it's interesting that they are not sort of shunning away from trying to make that work because I think when that would work it would be a super fun way to play the game if we can sort of have this free casting of spells or casting spells without having to have them in your hand I find that funny and entertaining so I I'm actually quite happy to see these what I then again view as experiments. Because at least, I mean, these might also be discarded ideas from sort of regular sets. Uh, who knows? But it, it shows that they aren't done thinking about these things. And I actually do find that encouraging. They're not shunning away from that. Ooh. You said shunning. But the quick, quick interception here this is a, a Street Fighter product ish. And uh, do you. Like recently, just a week ago or so, Street Fighter VI was announced. It was. It was. This this leads to a very important question. Who is your favorite Street Fighter character? And not based on the music. Sorry, Guile. <laughs> it's going to be Zangief. Who the fuck is it's that? Just big, <laughs> badass, weird, scarred, tattooed, bearded guy. Oh, it's that guy. That's a, that's a pretty solid pick. I'm a I'm a big of a bison guy. I think uh, I could never beat it, beat him when I played arcade because I sucked at Street Fighter. But uh, it was always this persona that I could never beat, and s- s- like the masochist in me looks up to that. I guess. Do you have any favorite Robin? I only played the original Street Fighter, and I was quite a bad player. So I think I mostly played uh, Shan Li and the one who like throws his fists and hits very hard. And I was just spamming that like multiple kick or spamming that like throwing away your arms as much as I could. Uh, so those were my favorites. Was it like the the sort of rubbery arm thing? The one with super long range? Oh man. Yeah, that was so annoying to play against. How and, do you block? Uh, yeah. Just move backwards. I don't do that. Same character who had the very sort of uh, slightly contradictory spell of yoga flame. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hang on. (laughs) You have to remember, kids, this was in the 1990s when yoga wasn't a thing. Yoga's hot. If it's yoga flame, I guess. Well, that is all we have for this week. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and we are terribly sorry if you did not grow up playing Street Fighter 2 on Super Nintendo because if you didn't, the last sort of 
15 minutes would be completely weird for you. So I guess that's uh, that's boomer talk. And if you are an uninformed Zoomer, jokes on you. Uh, feel free to instead list your best and favorite fighting games in the Discord. Uh, we'll link it in the episode information. I will, for reference, say that my best fighting game ever was the Turtles fighting game. Uh, also for Super Nintendo, it was great. I Come loved on. it. It's gotta be Super Smash Bros. Melee. Just yeah. putting it out there. In addition to the, the Discord, you can also hit up on... Uh, Punch out, Nintendo. <laughs> Sorry. Is that a fighting game, though? No, it's not. I'm just being... Yeah, being, yeah. Trying yeah, to be more boomer than, and than you. Have you have you seen... And this is a, a recommendation to everyone listening. There's a blindfolded run race done on Super Punch-Out on Games Done Quick. So go check that VOD out. It's crazy. I think beating Super Punch-Out is one of my greatest Super Nintendo kid achievements. Sort of without reading about any tactics in a magazine or anything. I actually managed to beat the game only by figuring it out myself. Have you tried the Chrono Trigger and not knowing English? <laughs> I did that. I, I knew English when I played Chrono Trigger, <laughs> so no. But that must have been a bit challenging. Anyway... In addition to the Discord, you can also find us on Twitter at SDHLM Legacy, Stockholm Legacy. The three of us are also present, uh, more or less, uh, on social media. Robin, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Thursdays at Alpha Spiel, slang, slinging magic cards, or on the Discord server. Yeah, I'll also try and play at Alpha Spiel on Thursdays. So uh, if you're by, <laughs> if you're near, come on by. I mean, <laughs> if you're by. Buy never shows up. You get to buy. <laughs> uh, like every <laughs> buy, like whenever you see you're facing buy, you know it's a no show. Anyways, you can find me on the Discord and at MonolithMTG on Twitter. And I'm also in Discord and on Twitter under Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 38th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. Warm thanks to you for listening. The Great Frönes has written our music. You can find their work on Spotify. Until next time, make sure to load that 200 hand slap.